Hello there, everybody. Do you like to hear some behind-the-scenes stories from some of Hollywood's actors and actresses? Well, head over to electronicmediacollective.com and check out Bull Spit with Moose, where you can listen to Moose sit down and talk to some of your favorite childhood actors and actresses, writers and producers from some of your favorite TV shows. So come on, let's go to get the inside scoop over at electronicmediacollective.com and check out Bull Spit with Moose. Let's see what Moose has in store today. I bid you welcome. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Welcome, horror hounds, to another legacy edition of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose. I'm joined on this episode by two guests excited to talk about the man probably most recognized as playing Dracula. That's right, we're going to talk about the legendary Mr. Bela Lugosi. Later, I'll touch base with his granddaughter, Lynn, and she'll tell us about the website and all the merchandising things. But first, talk about the man himself. We're going to talk with none other than his own son, Mr. Bela G. Lugosi. Welcome, Bela. Hey, how's it going? Very <laughs> well, thanks. So you staying safe? Yes. You're the son of the Dracula. I mean, yes. Is does that ever get surreal? I mean, when people think of Dracula, your dad is the first image that pops up in many people's heads. Well, that, that's true. And, and all the writers that have written about it, they really, they really single out dad as the iconic. Dracula, after which all others are pit compared. And, uh, and in fact, he's more imitated than I think any other actor. Not just at Halloween. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's the one that gave him the accent, all that. Yeah, he imbued the, the character with his touch, which included his bone address, his accent bearing. So, I mean, he's as much responsible for birthing Dracula as, like, Bram Stoker was. Brom put him down on paper. Yeah. Your dad brought him to life. That's right. Like I said, when people think of Dracula, it's... Even when I was younger, it was... Okay, who's Dracula? Oh, it's Bela Lugosi. That, that, that's Dracula. That's right. That's that first image you get every time. Yeah, that's right. Growing up, nothing was as remarkable as hindsight, looking back at those days. Because to me, that was my life and my lifestyle and my memories. And there wasn't anything that I knew or realized at the time transcending as it has become. Looking through his credits, your dad seemed like somebody who just needed to stay busy. I mean, oh, yeah. he seemed to have something come out like every year. Yeah, he, he, he made over 80 movies. And, uh, you know, he, he rehearsed all his roles as if it were his only role he ever did. But when he brought his version of Dracula to the screen, that ended any debate about who was Dracula. Speaking of debates, there seems to be a little back and forth as to, 
you know, he got the role because Lon Chaney Sr. had passed away. But others say that he was the one they had in mind all along. Do you know, like, the history on that, or... But, you know, my family lore was the former. That uh, he was he wasn't being considered, and he wanted to be considered. In fact, did things to try and bring his interest to bear on the people who were making the film, and it just faded. It just turned out. I mean, you know, he, he was born, he was born in that area where the fictional character came from. Uh, I mean, everything just lined up perfectly. And oh, yeah. He, he became Dracula. Well, and in hindsight, I, I can't imagine anybody else playing him. No, they broke the mold. Yeah. <laughs> as far as that story goes, it, it, it's one of those stories where, you know, everyone has their own opinions, but the, the one I'd heard most was that the role was supposed to go to Lon Chaney Sr. Yeah. And it it kind of made sense at the time because he had that, like, you know, he was that household name, even though your dad had been playing him on stage for years. That's right. You know, and yeah, your dad had a hell of a stage career as well. He could do it all. He acted on stage. He acted in movies. He did television. Radio. Radio, yeah. I mean, he covered every form of media. Yeah, he's really one of the pioneers of the American film industry. Yeah, I mean, the only thing he didn't do was have a newspaper. <laughs> mm, can't, can't go back. <laughs> he would have been good at it because, you know, he, he really had a bent t- towards history and current events. Uh, he was very well read. And, you know, he, he advocated for actors' rights in Hungary in the early 20s. And when he hailed during the World War II here in the United States, you know, he participated in blood drives and participated in community affairs. And he easily filled that spot, too. Oh, yeah. He seemed like the type that, not like current Hollywood, but Hollywood back in the day where you, you actually went out and used your status to, you know, help other people. Yep. Well, you know, Dad had a reputation of being a very generous person, like, the, you know, to people on the set. And uh, you know, he's very personable. I know after some of the darker times in his life, he used his name to try to get people who might need help to go get the help they needed. Yeah, that's right. Instead of just sitting on it. And that says a lot about him as a human being. I mean, you figure a lot of people could just, okay, I had problems. I, you know, I went and I got help and just went about their day. He went, this was back before social media, before anything else. Yeah. He just said, look, if you need help, help is out there. Go get it. Yep. And that, to me, is remarkable. And the mark of a truly remarkable man. Well, he, was, he was brave. Very brave. My daughter and I went out to the Metropolitan Hospital where he became you know, a patient and where he took the cure and turned himself in and spent time there living in. And uh, they, they really are keeping the memory alive of his days over there because he made a big impression on the nurses and doctors that cared for him. I bet. Now, there's another like controversy story, and it involves his relationship with Ed Wood. Now, some people say that he was, you know, they were genuinely friends. And then there's the other camp that say, 
Wood took advantage of him. Can you shed a little bit more light on that at all? Or <laughs> I was in um, high school during the times that Ed Wood and my dad uh, made some films. And I knew Ed Wood, he was over at the house for dinner. And I know that he was a big fan of Dad's, who revered him, and tried to keep him busy because he knew that Dad you know, had this tremendous work, work, work ethic. By the same token, Dad was good for Ed Wood because he needed him name recognition while he tried to come up with the money to make a film. So it's kind of like the right hand feeding the left hand, essentially. So it was one of those, the truth kind of falls right in the middle. I, I paid Ed Wood to be interviewed for the biography on Dad, Lugosi, the man behind the cape. And um, I have a transcript of his interview where he talked about his relationship with Dad. And uh, so far that's unpublished. I, I have that. Oh, I'd love to see that. I think there's some, some of both truths to, to the story that you just recited. So let's talk about you for a minute. You were, uh, after your dad passed, you uh, took on Universal. You won, but you lost. <laughs> That's right. You got it right. So I brought the action against Universal in 1963. And it wasn't resolved until, you know, 20-some years later, when the legislature in California enacted a law which adopted our, our position in the lawsuit, and uh, it's resulted in the protection to this day of the rights to the name and likeness of deceased celebrities. Well, that's crazy. I mean, you end up with your own legacy out of all of this. Yeah. You got your you got the ball rolling. I'm standing in the shadows. To protect all these families. Oh, that's right. You know, after the uh, loved one passes, to keep Hollywood from continuously making money on them, and the family's not seeing a dime. Yeah, well, the law now is and has been since the legislature enacted the, uh, the law was uh, name and likeness for commercial purposes was a property right belonging to the celebrity. And treat it like any other property. Digging into the lawsuit a little bit, it was weird to think that Universal was still making that much money off of your dad after he passed. And actually more money off of him after he passed than they were Oh yeah, that's, that's while right. he was alive. Because that's then right. he was really a hot commodity. I mean... Well, now, now you, you talk to my daughter Lynn about it, there's so much going on perpetuate, preserves his legacy. You know, we, we have wine, we had a beer, we have a guitar, we have artwork, appearances, you know, something going on all the time. And Lynn, tell you talk to, is pretty much running that. I'll be joining Lynn here when we're uh, done chatting. Yeah. Your father really left a mark on all, I mean, I'm 36. Five. I always get that confused. And I grew up watching his movies, uh, along with you know him, Karloff, Cheney, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, all of those. Those were my introductions to horror. Yeah, I've heard this same story from so many people, and it's really heartwarming to me to see successive 
two generations become fans of his, you know, years ago. People still... You know, my kids are starting to kind of get into horror, so that's the kind of stuff I'm showing them. Well, he's, he's textbook now. You know, the, the film studies oh, classes yeah. in the various colleges go into all this still today. You know, what they were able to do with practical effects back in that era of film can run circles around what are done with special effects today. Not quite the same. You didn't need all the special effects when you could just play a little bit with light and shadow. Oh, he was the effect. <laughs> exactly. You know, he he was able to move his body just right and tweak it a little and then play with the light, everything like that. And that gave off that menacing vibe. And that's part of why it worked. That's interesting because he could turn that on and off if he wants an effect. He was such a good actor. He just lived and became that other character. They're indistinguishable one from the other. Was your dad big into Halloween at all? <laughs> no, but yeah, he, he realized the, the, the tie-in. That could have been fun for kids coming up to trick-or-treat. Yeah, they did. Now, you grew up around the uh, Universal-era monsters. Did you have any other favorites besides your dad uh like as far as the characters go or do you not watch not really I, i'm not uh, the ordinary fan because <laughs> yeah i look at the screen and it's dad you know it's like oh it's dad dad's playing dracula my my contemporaries when they take me take us to see one of dad's films they hide behind the chair in the theater and I always thought that was odd, because to me, it was just Dan on the screen. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong? It's Dad in the cape. <laughs> well, it's interesting, because, you know, Dad has so many different lives. You know, he loves good cigars. He loves wine. He loves dancing, music, the arts. He like current events. And I, he's always trying to teach me something. When I accompanied he and my mom on summer stock, playing various theaters around the country, whatever was unique to the surrounding areas where we where the theaters were, was always trying to talk to me about the, the geography, the geology, things that you normally would get in school. But Dad felt like his duty as a father was to teach me, and I know I, I did learn. The work ethic from him, because he was always reading and reading scripts. So, is it true you guys buried him in one of his capes? Yes. That's awesome, because I wasn't sure if that was fact or if it was just one of those, like, mythos that build up around the, the legend that he is. No, my, my mother and I made that decision at the time of his burial. That's awesome. The, uh, the screen-worn cape is going to the... Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And it'll be on display. Man, I wish I could have met your dad. You know, me too. I mean, I met him, but I could have had such more of a relationship. You know, as a kid, you, you never realize what you got, you know, right there. If I could go back down and sit with dad, oh boy, that would really be something. He taught me how to fill a pipe. I like to smoke a pipe, so it's one of my chores would be Clean the pipe. <laughs> yeah, hi hindsight's a pain in the butt, isn't it, man? You you, you never uh, never really miss something until it's gone. That's right. Oh, I want stories he could tell. He 
could fill in all the blanks. We're doing that, revising and updating the biography of Dad. And now that was the internet and whatnot, we were able to uncover so much more information about him. But there's still gaps, and I'd love to be able to ask him. Yeah. Oh, that's that's why I enjoy being able to uh, like reach out to you because I mean this is close to talking to one of my childhood heroes. Well, you know, I, I've heard that from others too, and it really makes me feel real good in the family. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to you and talked to Sarah. Uh huh. So I mean, it, it's mind-boggling if you were to go back in time and tell ten-year-old me that. 20-some years later, you'll get a chance to talk to the families from the movies you're watching right now. I tell you, you're nuts. Yeah, that's a lot of years. But here we are. I mean, th- this really is you know, a-, a dream come true. I get to kind of fan out a little bit about my love for your dad. I get to talk to you about your love for your dad. And, you know, we, we get to help share his legacy a little bit more to everyone else. You know, what, what movie people have enjoyed is Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, I was actually on the set during the filming of that movie. And uh, Dad could pretty much do a scene in one, one take because you know, he was always so prepared and uh, able to discern how much respect the people on the set had for Dan. It was really uh, an experience that I've never forgotten. That had to throw Abbott and Costello for a loop. I don't think they could do a scene in one take. No. Yeah, it was a fun movie. Oh, yeah. That that movie's a trip. Well, Bela, it's been a blast and an honor chatting with you. I'm going to let you uh, go back to relaxing. I'm going to go connect with your daughter. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Keeping the memory alive, then. I'm so glad that uh, he imparted something good for your life, too. I, I appreciate yeah. it. Bye, Paul. That was Bela Lugosi Jr., and we'll be right back with his daughter, Lynn, after we hear a quick word from our sponsors. Greetings, badass believers. Ben with Omog Comics here. Thanks for listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Listen, your favorite gear jammer, Lenny Vernon, has gotten himself all locked up in his latest adventure, Lenny Vernon, Badass Trucker and the Culty Saga. An adventure so epic, we needed 60 pages to tell it. Issues 9 through 11 finds our intrepid badass up against a band of not-so-cute and not-so-cuddly culties, a transformative group of nefarious creatures out for blood. Join Lenny and his new friends as they try to block the Colties' road before their evil spills into the world. Support our Kickstarter to find out if Lenny's truck will be forever jackknifed or if he'll live to double clutch into the sunset and make sweet, sweet love. Head to kickstarter.com and search Lenny Vernon today. Thanks for your support and keep on trucking. All right, horror hounds, let's help that badass trucker stop those culties by contributing to their Kickstarter by August 12th. Or, if you just want to know more about Lenny the Badass Trucker, check out Omug Comics on Facebook. Link in the episode description. But now, let's check in with Bela's granddaughter, Lynn Lagosi Sparks. How you doing, Lynn? Hey, Paul, how did it go? It, it was fun. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad you had a good time talking to him. Oh, I had a blast. I mean, 
I'm really enjoying these legacy uh, interviews. Uh huh. Because I mean, they 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 mean the world to me. Well, I, and we appreciate it so much because you know, by doing these things, you're helping us reach an audience that we don't reach, and help us keep this legacy alive. Yeah. And- Did you talk about? Um, there's actually a museum at the L.A. County Hospital where he was getting treated, where he um, was treated. He mentioned the hospital a little bit. He said they're keeping the memory alive because he meant so much to, you know, he left such an impression on them. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They have a little museum, and it's in one of their original buildings, a little separate building, and they have a museum, and he is the only because of privacy rights, you know, they have pictures of different people um, there, but he's the only person by name that they have a little, you know, um, exhibition um, about him just because it was very unique for the time to publicly announce and and take the steps to to be admitted because, that you know, at that time that was his only option to get help. And yeah, I mean, he, he, he sought help and he got the help and he encouraged others to get help. So, I mean, that. Did he talk about kind of the very tragic circumstances that led him to finally actually going through the court process of, of being, in, of admitting himself? No, we didn't really get into that. You know, he was a member, he was an early member of the Screen Actors Guild number 28 and so you know and he basically brought his he fought for actors rights in Hungary started two actors trade unions there was actually you know had to leave Hungary because of that um, his activism there when came to Hollywood was on the ground floor of you know um, creating the Screen Actors Guild and so when it came to when he really needed help with his addiction um, part of the benefits that you paid into was being a, a member of the Screen Actors Guild was to be able to go to the country hospital in here in L.A. And, um, you know, it was funded by the Screen Actors Guild. And he went there initially and they took him in and he was there for a couple of days and they discharged him. And they said, yeah, we can't treat you here. You're not um, you haven't done a, a SAG film in over five years and they basically kicked him out of the hospital a beautiful hospital where somebody who um an actor of his caliber and the length of time that he acted should have been treated with respect and and treated they basically kicked him out forcing him to go to la county general hospital and then go through the courts to go to la county to be treated and it was just an absolute tragedy because later um ed wood you know, had said that that uh, Bride of the Monster was a fully authorized SAG film, and he should have been admitted to the country hospital for treatment. Jeez. I think that's a really important thing for people to know that it was really kind of you know just the ultimate disrespect to somebody who gave his whole life to always volunteering and sticking up and organizing for actors and people who were uh, you know needed help. And uh, that's the way he was treated. So where I want to go with this is 
pretty much everything that you handle, like, you know, the website, the uh-huh. history stuff, you know, where fans can stay up to date on information about uh, your grandfather. Okay. And, you know, I think um, what a lot of people don't know and is that, you know, well, I, I run the licensing in addition to what we call the the legacy business, which includes the website and and um, really interesting um, projects that we're work we are that we work on um, for his legacy, and we also you know have pretty robust licensing program, and we have a lot of products out there and a lot of products coming out soon, and so that. Um, our website actually needs to be updated, so I want definitely want people to go visit for the biographical information. But um, I do want them to know that we will be updating it and and to look for uh, officially licensed Bela Lugosi products, um, which are only ex- licensed by us. Now, your dad said something about wine, beer, and I think he said guitars? So we we have had a wine in the past. It's not available any longer. We did a very small, there were only 1,200 bottles per vintage. We will be doing some in the future. I, I, we're working on it. I just can't provide a release date. Um, we have a license with the local uh, LA brewery that did a Vail Lugosi um, dark sour beer that is was just you know available at limited um, in October for a couple years. Um, hopefully we'll be doing another one soon, but the guitars that we did, we did a set of three guitars with ESP guitars, uh, one of two of them being original art. Uh, and then the third one being, um, a replica of Kirk Hammett's, uh, white zombie guitar that he plays on tour. Huh. And that one is still being produced. It's still available for sale. The first two were very limited and they are sold out. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have we have. I mean, we have products ranging from, of course, T-shirts, um, posters, um, statues, figures, toys. We've done a Dracula with Funko, you know, the Funko Pop, Funko reaction figures. We have licenses with Super Seven, with uh, Mego did a figure. We have uh, a set participate in several books we're coming out with our own biography and really exciting a legendary comics which is a branch of legendary pictures is producing a graphic novel of bram stoker's dracula featuring bale lugosi as count dracula which is absolutely fantastic the art and it's like 183 pages and it'll be coming out in october oh that is crazy timing. One of the things that we have improved on by officially licensing a really wide variety of products is that there's so much infringement. What we try to do is really look at the companies that make products. They need to be quality products. They need to be respectful of Vela. And, um, you know, we that's the, those are the products that we license. And so we have really reined in a lot of the infringers um, from doing things either that aren't good quality or aren't appropriate. And so we really want to make sure that um, people know that those licensed products are out there. Didn't you speak with my dad about the cape being at the Academy? Yeah, he mentioned that. I I didn't find that, like, okay, I, I've been reading, like, I was reading all day yesterday, all night, most of this morning. I didn't find that anywhere. Well, I think it came out in The Hollywood Reporter last October as an online that's where they released um they and then the academy last october released it on their website 
I believe. And then, yeah, he mentioned it. I was just like, holy crap, that is amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, this whole thing, this whole COVID thing really threw everybody. So, you know, I think they were initially opening the museum. Um, it would have already been opened. And then they were moving for, I think now they're moving for a December opening. But eh, Good luck. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but it is, um, that is probably one of our most proud announcements recently, just because the Cape is really the holy grail of all horror memorabilia. Oh, yeah. And to be able to have it shared with the world is something so important to the family and to my dad, you know, that not only my children and grandchildren, but everybody else will have the opportunity to see this great piece, which my grandmother kept in beautiful condition. And so there is some restoration going on to the lining, which is very delicate crepe silk. Um, so they're restoring it so that it can be displayed properly. It's really in, in beautiful shape. And I think people will be quite taken aback by the scale of the cape itself. And we're really thrilled that uh, we're able to use the pattern from the cape that we created and make a costume replica, which is now available through Trick or Treat Studios. Oh, that's crazy. We were talking about your grandfather being buried in the Cape, mm -hmm. and that's when he brought up the one going to the museum. I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. His screen, his screen-worn cape from the film, that, and also that he wore in numerous stage appearances and on stage in the Dracula plays is the one that is at the museum. That's in L.A., isn't it? Yes. Man, I hate living in the middle of the country. <laughs> you should go to the um, museum's website. It's spectacular. It was designed by a renowned architect, and uh, part of it is in a uh, historically significant Los Angeles building. It was a department store, and then they have this spectacular globe uh, sphere that, you know, you walk in all covered with glass. It overlooks the Hollywood sign. It's really, it's really quite something. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> when I was talking to your dad, he mentioned that the biography is getting uh, re-edited or uh, republished or something. Mm -hmm. It was first published in the 1970s, and, and unfortunately, publisher had problems with the distribution, and it really wasn't distri distributed as widely as it should have been, and it had gotten great reviews. And really, it is the only book that is officially authorized by the family because it was written with my grandmother. Extensive interviews with her, they, the author traveled with her to Hungary to do the research, and at that time, the author was still able to interview family of Bela that was still alive and friends that were still alive to get, including Edward, um, to get really f the only uh, first-hand interviews about him, you know, that are, that are available. And so as a biography, it really did a magnificent job of accurately tracing his life with insights of the man who he really is, hence the name uh, Lugosi, the man behind the cape. And so that uh, book is being republished with the the same author, except we were able to add about a third more text, hundreds of pages that weren't allowed in the first edition because of space. And also, we have over 400 photos and documents, many of them never seen before. So it's going to be quite a, a lengthy book, but we feel the definitive biography of Bela Lugosi. Do you have a projected release date on that? or We do not. Darn. <laughs> if all goes as planned, and uh, I can't announce a, a publisher yet, 
um, but we would love to have it available in 2021 as part of our remembrance of Bela Lugosi's performance in Dracula, which will be the 90th anniversary in 2021. That's crazy. 90 years. Yeah. We also have a, a continuing um, collection of films at the Academy Film Archive, which is also here in Los Angeles. It's the Bela Lugosi collection, and those are films that we have acquired and have donated to the museum for their protection and used by the museum and by us. And, you know, there's just great titles and the the list is growing, but, it, you know, as you know, it's those films, the copies of films have been in people's basements or maybe not protected well enough and they're, they're getting bad. You know, there's a yeah. lot of copies that have gone bad or they've been spliced or pieces removed or copies made from copies that weren't good. So we're trying to find the best copies of these film elements and get them protected. It's a worthy task, but it seems like a daunting. It is daunting, and a small group of people that deal in the buying and selling of these old films, and they're quite rare, especially anything that has the name Bale Lugosi on it is is valued very high. So it's a kind of like a a, a search, you know, a quest that I'm on, <laughs> and I, I'm enjoying it, but it is it does get frustrating because. I, I am a completist myself, and I want a co- I want a copy of everything he's ever done. Lynn Lagosi, in the quest of the Lagosi Grail. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah. This afternoon has been a blast. Um, where can fans keep up to date and find out more information about? you know, your family legacy and stuff like that. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I've enjoyed speaking with you. We have a website. The official Bela Lugosi website is www.balalugosi.com. And it's full of biographical information and photos and biography written by my father, Bela Lugosi Jr., as well as information on the Lugosi licensing business and links to some of our licensees who have great Bale Lugosi products. So check it out and uh, we will be updating it in the coming month. And please also visit us at the official Facebook page, Bale Lugosi Official. Listeners, those links are going to be in the uh, episode description if you haven't seen them already. You know where to find them. Find me on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. or on electronicmediacollective.com alongside other great podcasters. And Lynn, I have to thank you for one, chatting with me today, and for two, helping me set this whole interview up. This has truly been an honor. Well, it's our pleasure. Thank you for talking with my dad and with me and for helping us extend the legacy of my grandfather. Oh, it, it, it is the least I can do. I mean, like I told your dad, I grew up watching your grandfather's movies. It's what got me interested in horror in the first place. It's my way to give back a little. Well, thank you. And... Until next time, horror hounds, mash on. This has been Moose's Monster Mash. Come back for more chills and thrills. Whoa! <laughs>